We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for January 3rd, 2010. It's our first study for the new year. And um, today we're going to be covering the whole, it's called the sacred name issue, which is really permeating through a lot of different factions of uh, Christianity today. I've had many, many requests to do this study, been meaning to do it for a long time. This is kind of like a continuation of the Hebrew Roots study that I've started. Uh, the whole Messianic Hebrew Roots movement is uh, really the ones that are behind this, and I'm sure this will draw the ire of many people, as the other studies that I've put up did. Regarding this subject, they seem to be the most um, adamant uh, regarding these types of issues in regard to the responses that I get, and that's fine. You know, I'm just going to lay out what I believe to be truth today, try to back it up as much as I can, and you be the judge um, regarding this issue. Now, for the sake of simplicity and not turning this into a ten-part teaching, I'm going to be covering a basic refutation of this subject. But I will be posting a much more technical documentation packet with the PDF that will be connected with this teaching. And there's usually always a PDF file document that's associated with the teachings that I put up because I just don't want you to take my word for things. I want you to check it out. And that will be up on Sermon Audio connected with this teaching. And it's, uh, if you don't know the website address, it's www.sermonaudio.com, sermonaudio.com, forward slash dr, is in doctor, Scott Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, or you can do a keyword search on the internet and or on YouTube, but the videos up on YouTube, we can't, um, uh, we can't put the PDFs up there, uh, but there's usually links even on those back to the Sermon Audio site, so, uh, there's, we could get super, super technical and turn this into something that's going to go over uh, a lot of people's heads. We can get really, really far into the Greek and the Hebrew and do a real technical study, and you're not going to get a whole lot out. Most people are not going to get a whole lot out of that. And um, But for those that want to go much further with this, I will provide the other documentation um, at a much, much deeper level just so you know. I wanted to kind of throw that out there. The first article we're looking at is, uh, title is, The Name. The Hebrew Roots Movement Attacks the Name of Jesus. Isaiah 52.6 says, Therefore my people shall know my name. Uh, and this is kind of like an expose on a f- specific part of the Hebrew Roots, what they call sacred name movement, which has pretty much swept through a lot of different, like I said, factions of uh, Christianity and pseudo-Christianity. This starts out by saying, His name is wonderful, or is it? Have you found eternal salvation through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ? Have you found true deliverance from your old sinful past and the world and its pleasures in this most precious name? What about the reality of the peace of God and the assurance nothing can separate us from the love of God? Have you seen lives change, miracles wrought, families restored, and others responding towards God at the preaching of the name above every other name? Um, What if someone came along and said, this name you've been saved and set free by is not the correct name, but all a misnomer? 
What if someone came along and said this wonderful name of your Savior was a corrupt Greek name derived from a false god called Zeus? How would you react? What would you respond? Beware, this is exactly what is happening in some spheres of Christendom today. Those sources of the Hebrew roots messianic sacred name movements uh, through sources, I'm sorry, of the Hebrew roots messianic sacred name movement as it validates itself into the body of Christ. This is like a leaven, one of the many forms of leaven. And this is just more bad doctrine, which is what uh, Jesus Christ identified the primary definition of leaven as. He said to beware of the, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which is their doctrine. They were bringing in damnable heresies, another gospel contrary to the pure and simplistic gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ presented in the New Testament. That's what they were doing. Okay, They were trying to corrupt it. So, <clears throat> when re regarding this very issue, if we go to the book of Acts, and, and we look at Acts 4.10 through 4.13, and this was uh, Peter and John preaching this, and this was you know after uh, Pentecost, and the power of the Holy Spirit had descended, and these types of things. This is just a brief excerpt of what they're saying to... Um, um, the Jews there, it says, Be known unto all you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Um, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is the head of the corner. And then verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And then the next verse, identifying who said this, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. See, they weren't, you know, seminary trained. I'm not, I'm not knocking all seminaries, okay? Uh, but the problem is, is most of the modern day seminaries indoctrinate their pupils into unbiblical concepts like yoking yourself up with the government through 501c3 institutions like getting licenses to do everything um, questioning the word of God oh this is a better rendering this type of stuff there's a lot of things that go on in seminaries that I believe have fundamentally eroded um, and attacked the preachers essentially and they come out and they come out with a lot of um, leavened bad doctrine that they're taught in the seminaries. This is the foundation of their um, pastoral careers, and as a result, you know, this leaven permeates through their congregations. And we have a church pretty much that's asleep. We have a church that's apathetic. We have a church that's yoked up with, you know, the corrupt governments of the world. And, you know, no wonder the things are in the shape that they're in. But the Bible predicted it was going to be this way, so it's not something that we should get all down in the mouth about, but it did predict it was going to be this way, that there's going to be a falling away. Uh, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that God is going to send strong delusion on this world, um, that evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 2 Timothy 3.13 uh, that there's going to be many wolves in sheep's clothing, that there's going to be, if Satan composes a minister of, as an angel of light, it's no marvel that his ministers composes ministers of righteousness. Now, I'm not blanket labeling every pastor out there. I'm just saying a lot of them fall into this category, particularly in the end-time church. 
So it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. So these guys weren't seminary trained. Um, I'm not seminary trained, and I've stated that many times. And I'm glad, to be quite honest, I'm glad I'm not. Uh, people say, well, how do you know all this Bible and stuff? Well, the Bible, the Jesus Christ said, it's expedient that, that I go. In other words, when he uh, left this, this plane of existence, okay, through his finished work on the cross, and after the resurrection, because he says, when I will go, I'll send a comforter, and he will teach you, you know, all things, he will cause all things to be brought into remembrance that I have taught you. So, and I'm paraphrasing there, that verse, but that's essentially... Um, the, the, the Holy Spirit is what helps you learn these things. And I believe this is something that you can um, pray about and ask the Lord for wisdom and understanding and knowledge. Um, you know, if, if your heart is in the right place, you've confessed your sins and you go to the Lord as a born-again Christian, there's, there's no reason that He's not going to do that. You just have to also you have to have the faith to believe He can do it. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. 1. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we have to have faith to believe that he can answer our prayers. Because if you don't have that faith, you're not going to get your prayers answered. It's a prerequisite. You know? And I've done a whole uh, teachings on the biblical keys to answer prayer. There's a search box on my homepage on Sermon Audio. You can go and you can access and just key in prayer. And you'll see the teachings I've done on that particular subject. So, um, Titus 1.14 says, Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from truth. And the whole essence of the Hebrew Roots movement, and I've already done 13 teachings on this, actually more than that. If you can, uh, the word Hebrew in the search box on my homepage on Sermon Audio that I mentioned, you'll see all the teachings where we've got into this. Uh, just Hebrew, or even part of the word Hebrew. We're not to give heed to Jewish fables. Now, this was a big, gigantic, in fact, it was the main problem that the New Testament church was facing in its infancy. Uh, because most of the of the uh, believers then were Jewish. They had just come out of the whole Pharisee, Sadducee, um, really at that time, that's what it had become, belief system. It wasn't even so much based upon Old Testament, I'm not saying it wasn't, that wasn't a big part of it, but they had also added in a whole bunch of other stuff that Jesus alluded to, to bring men into bondage and to use this as a control mechanism, as a browbeating mechanism over the people. And, and Jesus even said, you can't, to the Pharisees and Sadducees, you can't even do this, and yet you expect other men to be able to do it. Um, but as it was then, it is now, Okay? not giving heed to Jewish fables. That's really the essence of a lot of what's wrong with this Hebrew Roots movement. And again, I've done 13 studies on this, with many more uh, Lord willing to come, because I still haven't covered the subject in totality. Now, I've never gotten more hate mail or more opposition over anything I've ever put out on the internet than this subject. Um, All I can really say is that the demonic opposition to this type of truth coming out about this particular subject is greater than anything I've ever encountered as far as the vehement um, 
opposition that comes out regarding this. So, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from truth. Anything that turns you away from the Word of God, the King James Bible in the English, uh, and gets you on another path is another gospel. And this is what we're talking about today. Um, The Old Testament was written in Hebrew for the chosen Jewish nation. The New Testament was written in Greek where the partition between Jews and Gentiles was broken down so that we could all become one new man in Christ. Back in the early 80s, now this is from the man that wrote this particular article. Back in the early 80s, not long after we had left the established church, Don Stanton of Maranatha Revival Crusade was a dear brother in Christ we came to respect and received much encouragement from, even sharing in our home and supplying much of our literature for witnessing and growth. After being such a blessing to my wife and myself, along with our friends, I became very alarmed when his ministry took a turn towards Judaism, when he switched to substituting the teaching Hebraic names for many important biblical names. Along with a passion for following Jewish feasts and customs as part of our Christian faith. He even rewrote the Bible, replacing our Savior's name with Hebraic equivalents, and today is entrenched in something our Lord Jesus Christ came to set us free from. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've experienced this same thing firsthand. Now, me coming out of the Pentecostal church, I saw a ton of this. I saw, um, you know, when I had actually come out of there at the end, I had a guy, a real good friend of mine in the Pentecostal church, his name was Eric, he even worked for my dad. And... He got into this, and supposedly, it, what happened, you know how I see a lot of people get into this? They're so desperate to find a little bit of Jewish blood in their bloodline. And they will go, and they will do genealogical searches, and evidently this is what he did. And he found out he had some trace amount of Jew- Jewish lineage, I guess. I don't know if it was real or not. And all of a sudden, he starts showing up. He's wearing the yarmulke, the little skull cap thing, and he's wearing prayer, prayer shawls. And I mean, it was like really quick. He has all the Jewish paraphernalia, the stuff you put on the door, the, the, all the stuff that go along. And I even got caught up in this a little bit. Not real bad. Hey, I had a shofar, man. I could blow that thing good, too. Now, if you don't know what a shofar is, it's mentioned in the Old Testament. It's what the, the Jews would blow before dirt, uh, during certain events and before certain events. It is actually the modern-day shofar. I don't know if it was this exactly in the Old Testament, but is the horn of a kudu antelope. And it's not easy to, to get that thing to sound off. I, I took a lot of practice on my part, um, but I did. I was pretty good at it. And we'd have our Pentecostal things, and everybody would be going crazy and dancing and up and down. And, you know, here I'd come, front row, baby, blowing that shofar. Oh, yeah, I was, I was zealous. <laughs> you know, da-da, da-da, you know, everybody, the music's going, and it, it's just, it's pandemonium in there, you know. <laughs> I remember that. Uh, everybody loved when I brought it, because, you know, I mean, this was a big Pentecostal church I went to, and, uh, um... It was, uh, it, was, it was a favorite of the pastors and things. It was a draw, you know, part of the whole stuff we were doing. And uh, so I'm not saying that, that, that 
you know, I'm above all this, and this is never... I was one of the most radical Pentecostals you had ever seen, because I equated being radical with zeal. And I remember one time there was a guy in there, and, and, and uh, oh my word, the whole slain in the spirit thing, you know? And he comes up to me, and he's preaching, and he, and he, uh, he comes up to me, right in the middle of this preaching, I'm front row, and he's like, oh, brother, the power of God's all over you, and, and then he laid hands on me, and I went down, you know, in the whole fetal position, and I was there for probably about, oh, an hour, while he was preaching, I was in a fetal position in front of like 5,000 people, oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> so I'm not sitting here saying I'm Mr. Perfect, and, and I've got, you know, I'm above all of this, I've been deceived big time, um, so anyway, um, I just wanted to kind of let you know, I, I, I have a lot of experience with this particular thing from very, very early on uh, after I was saved. I do. I have, I have a lot of experience with this. And um, I got into it a little bit. I remember Eric had bought me some stuff, Jewish, these Jewish kind of things that you get, the little things you put on your door, prayer things I think you touch and you have a little scripture verse in them. And, um, but... I also, I mean, after I came out of the Pentecostal movement, after the Lord showed me that, what was going on there, and that wasn't until somebody gave me a tape, it was at the time, it was of Gail Ripplinger, and um, it was a very, really well done little thing she had done, and uh, really opened my eyes to this, and when I opened my eyes to the King James Bible being the Bible for today in the English language, uh, all of a sudden, my eyes were opened to everything that was going on in the Pentecostal movement, and to a large extent in the Hebrew Roots movement as well. Uh, and all I can tell you is that's what happened to me. I mean, it was that big of a deal for me, and it's and it's one of the reasons I've always been very passionate about that subject because it opened my eyes to the truth. So um, anyway, I'll go on with this article that uh, he's going to give his his. Um, he gave his little testimony about the particular man that he knew that had gotten wrapped up in that. The people, and again, the people that I see get wrapped up in this, uh, not that I hate them, I, I really would love to see them set free from it, but see, the, the thing that I see that happens to people that get wrapped up in the Hebrew Roots movement, uh, and there's a lot of different facets to this, there's a lot of different degrees and severity there's some people that are just kind of dabbling in it. There's some people that are really hardcore. But tend, they tend to, if they stay in it, they become more and more and more hardcore. Uh, the th biggest thing I see is that they become proud. And that pride, just like it did to Satan, it blinds them. They become where they think they're better. And they'll, they won't admit this, but they do feel superior because they know this truth. They believe it to be truth, that only a few people this has been revealed to. Well, I know his real name, and you're actually using a false name. So are you even saved? Because if there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved, and you believe that all us stupid uh, English King James Bible believers, or even the false versions, they're English too. If you believe all of us are just dumb and ignorant, and that you know the real name, doesn't that make you superior to us? Don't tell me you don't feel that way, because I know I've been there. 
I know the superiority that creeps up when you, even you're Pentecostal. Well, we pray in tongues, we're therefore we're really saved because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're not filled with the Holy Spirit because you don't pray in tongues. Now, I could do a whole study on that, and I really need to, but that's a bunch of garbage. It's not whether we pray in tongues if we're saved, and I've done a whole teaching on salvation, but, they, but they'll make it about that. They're better, they're superior. We operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Hebrew Roots Movement, just a different flavor of kind of the same pride and arrogance that creeps in. What is the antidote for pride? Humility. What brings humility? Fear of God. Fear of God is the antidote for all of this. Fear of God will bring on humility. But if you get and you stay in these movements and you become proud, there's going to come a time where it's like 1 Timothy 4.1 kicks in. Uh, Therefore, in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. That's what happens. Your, your conscience becomes seared. There's going to come a time for all those people that if they continually reject truth, um, their conscience will become seared. And you can't reach them. And... To be honest, from the uh, many battles I've been in with the people in the Hebrew Roots movement, they are, I believe without a doubt, as far as any faction of pseudo-Christianity, the most unreachable group overall that I've ever encountered. They do not care about what you put before them. They already know the truth. They believe to be truth. And there's nothing that you can do to sway them, no matter how much you put in their face, no matter how much documentation you provide. Their rabbi said it so. Many times they're actually being taught by rabbis at many levels, or whoever said it so. And this is the same with the Pentecostals too. Well, my, my prophet said this to me, and yet the prophecies are contrary to the Bible. A lot, a lot of times, or the prophecies that they're teaching aren't coming to pass. Test of a prophet, Deuteronomy 18 says, if he's from God, it better come to pass. And it better not contradict the word of God as well. And that's, those, there are two conditions there. Um, so, that, I've, I've been there, done it. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, so I, I just want to let you know, I'm not saying I'm above any of this. I've been there in, in the middle of this. So, Uh, what we're going to get into is a two-part article written in response to this tragedy that he had just mentioned and the tragedies that I just mentioned, along with many people who have emailed me in recent months trying to persuade myself over to the Hebrew Roots camp. Generally, I've found these people to be varied in their opinions in regards to doctrine. Some moderate, scripturally still believing in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and others into complete heresy, omitting the name of Jesus Christ entirely from their faith. But the thing is, is if you stay in this... You'll end up there eventually. I really believe that. Because, see, the devil's not just going to be content with you dabbling in something. He's going to want to suck you in further. Uh, So, if you stay in it, don't expect yourself just to kind of be a dabbler the rest of your life. You're going to really, at some point, most likely delve into this wholeheartedly. Uh, These people also... For many, many, uh, from from the many different emails I've seen, and I've alluded to this and some of the things I've just said, really believe they're the only ones that are saved, too. I'm not, I'm not saying all, but I'm saying a lot. I mean, this whole Hebrew name issue alone, 
They say that we're crying out to Zeus. That's one of the very many uh, things they'll say. Well, we can't get saved by crying out to Zeus, right? Well, exactly. So see, we know the true path. This is what they try to convince people of. Uh, <clears throat> the sincere majority of these people have used the gentle diplomatic approach in their argument to win us across. Now, I haven't found that to be true whatsoever. Maybe at the time of this writing, which was probably years ago, I don't find anything gentle about, you know, what's going on with this. And, um, but it's intensified, in other words. Then he gets, says, whereas a few others have been aggressive and downright rude and even abusive. Well, that's been my experience. Okay. But, but then again, I'm very, very matter-of-fact and, and tend to be to the point, and that offends a lot of people. So, you know, I'm sorry, but my life's not a popularity contest. And it's not like I haven't been in their shoes. Maybe I haven't been into the same extent as the guy I described, like Eric. But, um... Uh, I've been there. I, you know, I know what's kind of going on there. Uh, on all occasions, I've found them very persistent, rabbinic-centered. That's what always ends up happening. I mean, I got people that you know I have uh, known. And they call themselves Christians, but I mean, you know, they get. Well, now I'm a rabbi. We're really getting back to our Hebrew roots. And, you know, they got the beard going and the whole nine yards. And even the wife's a rabbi. She calls herself a rabbi. And, um, you know, they have their own. And everything, I mean, it is totally, it's so disgusting to me that they have done this. And I'm going to get in a whole bunch of verses that prove this. And you can check my other 13 teachings I've done on the subject to verify this. Because it truly is a false gospel. It is another gospel. It is totally contrary Contrary to, to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In uh, some downright rude, even abusive, when we wouldn't skip to their tune. On all occasions I have found them to be very persistent, rabbinic-centered, and usually attacking the holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ one way or another. An in-depth study will prove the teachers who are fanatically entrenched into this movement are deliberately discrediting, tainting, and replacing the precious name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ attempting to lead Bible-believing Christians out of Christianity. See, that's what the whole purpose of this is. This is the purpose of all false religions. To lead you away from the, from the simplistic, pure gospel presented in the King James Bible. That's what, it's, that's what, that's what Satan's goal is. There's spirits that are emanating and operating through these movements. And that's why somebody says, well, what denomination? I'm not. I'm not any denomination. I'm a Bible-believing, born-again Christian, King James reading, believing that this is the Word of God. That's all I call myself. I'm, I'm just a watchman. Um, that's all I call myself. I'm not a pastor or a bishop or an elder or deacon, spiritual overseer, anything like that. It doesn't mean I'm not accountable, but I just don't call myself any of those things because I'm not qualified. I'm, I'm not called to be that. I'm called, I really just to believe a watchman. So, going further apart, one of this address is simplified way of exposing their Hebrew roots movement and how believers have seduced away from the New Testament, written in Greek, which was the universal language of the day, and provincially, providentially translated into English, the universal language for the closing hours of this time period, which is the sole purpose of restoring these folks back to faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, the problem I, I really run into this is very few will, will yield to this. But, um, 
I have had several emails of people saying, you know, you know, thank you for this. I was caught, I was wrapped up in this, and your teachings really confirm this to me. Um, and that's ultimately the, the source. And it's also really what it would be best to do is to prevent others from getting wrapped up into this. Because once you get ensnared in this, it becomes very hard to break free. All I can say is that the spirits that operate through this movement are stronger than just about any I've ever encountered within pseudo-Christianity. Okay, so, let's see here. The f this is a follow-up. There's a follow-up then after part one, revealing the authentic root of our faith, dealing with the false roots of the Hebrew Roots Movement. Uh, unlike its gen Gentile counterpart, the Alexandrian school of thought, which throws doubt on finding the right source of Greek, giving its scholars the final authority in interpretation, the Hebrew Roots Movement has been successful in discrediting the Greek New Testament and replacing it with the so-called Hebrew Aramaic originals. This places the final authority in regards to interpreting scripture in the hands of its rabbinic teachers. In other words, if the Bible says if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Psalm 11 verse 3. If they can get you to doubt the foundation, which is the word of God, that's the foundation of our faith, they can get you to doubt that. That's all they've got to really do. Because once they get you to doubt what the word of God is, then they can go and present to you what they believe it is. So understand, it always usually boils back to the Word of God. That's why I'm always harping on it. Uh, it's very, very important we get that down. And this is true for almost all cults. They're always going to question the Word of God. Every single one. This one's no different. It's the whole, yea hath God said, questioning the Word of God. Okay, so and then once this is achieved by these rabbinic teachers, who are ultimately behind this stuff, once achieved, then the holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ then comes under scrutiny. Uh, however, we need to make it quite clear from the start, this does not mean we lump into all, lump into one all advocates of the Hebrew Roots Movement as deliberately being into and promoting the occult. Well, there's people that are in, in this. It's like, How can I say this? Um, at the very, very highest level of the Hebrew Roots Movement, just like in Rabbinic Judaism and these types of things, the very, very, very highest level we have the Kabbalah, which is the highest form of Jewish mysticism slash witchcraft. The highest, highest level. I'm not saying entry-level stuff, but at the highest levels, and I've done... I've provided a lot of documentation for this in the previous studies I've done on the Hebrew Roots Movement. Out of the rabbis' own mouths, the Talmud is their higher authority. It does, um, I believe the, the quote was, the Talmud is the modern day Torah, which is the first five books of the, of the Bible. And the Talmud is one of the most blasphemous books ever toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've even provided quotes from the Talmud in reference to Jesus Christ, and had people from the Hebrew Roots Movement say, I'm just making up all lies. Why don't you look up the verses from it? The Babylonian Talmud in particular, because there's two versions. You know, no, they just, they just want to let, they don't, they don't want truth. Uh, so, I just kind of wanted it to, to kind of just touch into that. 
the source, just like at the height of any false religion, what do we have at that height of that false religion? We have Satan, essentially. He's trying to inter- interject and introduce as much leaven as he can so that the fewest amount of people on the planet will be saved, so that ultimately there will be more people in the lake of fire with him. That's the ultimate end game goal. You know, a thousand years from now, it's all that's really going to matter. Who's burning in the lake of fire? Or let's say 2,000. Okay? For argument's sake. Who's burning in the lake of fire and who's in heaven? Those are going to be the main issues that are only really going to matter. And that's what we're talking about today. This is a matter of heaven and hell. I really do believe it is. This is a matter of salvation because this is another gospel. And if you buy into this and you believe into this and you have your faith in this and not in the faith of the word of God and you question the word of God and you don't even think it is the word of God, how are you going to be saved? How is that possible? So, let's go further. Um, Let's see. What we are doing is exposing the teaching links to these sources which are deliberately leading believers away from our true root, Jesus Christ our Lord, replacing his name and depriving others from the only way whereby man can be saved. This is part one. During the last hours of of these last days, when the English word would be the universal language of the world, doesn't mean it's the only language, but as far as a language, it is the, if you could be, if there was any one language that could be considered universal on earth at this time, it would be English, and we're going to prove that from various quotes from different people in linguistics. Uh, The Lord, in his manifold wisdom, has chosen this language to represent his word, to be written as the plain and simple, easily comprehended words of the gospel to the world at all levels of class and culture. God foresaw this language would be the world language in the closing hours, presenting his pure, preserved word with the message, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of God is now based on a common language, so the world's masses can have access to God's word, proclaiming there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved, where both people, Jew and Gentile, could serve the living God as one. The word of God was preserved through the transition of the universal language from Greek to English. It occurred um, when the authorized 1611 King James Bible was written and made public property. Now we're going to get into some of the other versions that were translated from the Textus Receptus that that predated the King James. Okay, we're gonna, we're not going to like we're not going to just ignore them as well to say that there's no merit there. Okay, so anyway, let's go further. Uh, when uh, let's see, it occurred when the authorized 1611 K King James Bible was written and made public property when English as a secular and non-religious language was established in its purest form just before the British Empire was established when English would be set to become the universal language of the world prior to Jesus' second coming now this is uh, well I'll back off on that for a second. It says, as many languages as are dying in the world, a language is dying somewhere every day. English is, is disseminating into international common denominator as the world goes global. It would be hard for God to use some languages as many are religious in origin and are not compatible with biblical Christianity. Meaning, quote, to know a particular language, you have to be part of the 
household speaking the culture interwoven within their pagan belief system. Many languages are that way. So that wouldn't be a good vehicle for God to use if you had a language like that. It was already corrupted. This is why it would be necessary for God to set one universal standard in an hour when confusion and apostasy would be prevalent on a worldwide scale. Now here are some quotes from a linguistic expert speaking on the Kim Hill Show, 2-2-1999, February 2nd, 1999. Quote, In this role of global language, English becomes one of the most important professional qualifications. English is unquestionably recognized as the most important language to be learned in the prevailing international community. This is an unchanged, unchallenged fact that seems to be irreversible. English has become the business and scientific world's official language. Now, that's from a linguistic expert that that's what he does. That's his specialty. That's his assessment. He's not trying to defend the King James Bible. He's just stating facts. Um, And then he goes on to say, It is a matter of statistical fact that English is the most important world language. It is the language of modernality of the 21st century, the language of the most advanced technologies of air traffic, computing, telecommunications, the language of the world of politics, diplomacy, and international finance. English is spoken on every continent. It has the largest number of foreign students, the second largest number of native speakers after the Chinese. These numbers will probably continue to increase. Globalization, the creation of one interdependent world, will increasingly require a common language. Now, and and again, this is going to play into the whole coming New World Order, too. Because one of the things that happened at the Tower of Babel, so in other words, there's a double-edged sword of this as well, but one of the things that happened at the Tower of Babel, the main thing, the reason they call it Tower of Babel, is God confounded their languages. And all these little splinter, splinter groups that had all their own little occult piece of the pie knowledge that they were, had all come together to all get on the same page God split them up, he confounded their languages and then they all migrated to different parts of the world and this is where we get the different races and, and um, this type of thing so Taylor asked me is it bad to learn other languages and I said no, I mean it's not bad uh, it's it's just that they, these are the people, God gave them their own language, confounded them. And this is where we get all these different races and cultures from. And now, as we have basically the Tower of Babel being rebuilt, and this is one of the main themes of the coming New World Order. They, they have in many of their, there's even a building that's been built. I, I've been sent pictures of it on numerous occasions. Like kind of like a UN-sponsored thing, where it's like the Tower of Babel in its reconstruction. It's one of their main things that they're trying to represent. They're trying to do what they did at the Tower of Babel again. And God's going to let it have it their way for a time. But all this occult knowledge that they possess, that I believe they derived from the fallen angels, that had come in Genesis 6, and, and taught them these things, This is they're all going to get back on the same page now. And this is why witchcraft... And um, is going to increase. This is why witchcraft is most likely, which is really the coming um, essence of the coming one world religion. I've said that in many times. The Bible says that the Antichrist will cause craft to prosper in his hand. And through um, lying signs and wonders and miracles uh, is going to be the very chief way whereby the Antichrist and the false prophet deceive the whole world. 
not true born-again Bible-believing Christians, but witchcraft is really the essence of all of this. So, um, anyway, this goes, this goes on by saying this quote, a good, common, a good command of English will enable you to communicate with an increasing proportion of the world's population and to participate successfully in the new globalized world. So that was coming, on a very, coming at it from a very new world order angle regarding that. So, the common denominator language presented to us in the great book, namely the Holy Bible, in the name of Jesus brought, and in the name of Jesus brought freedom to millions, which was responsible for the Reformation, although exploited for political gain, and the greatest missionary thrust, uh, the Christians in America and in Great Britain, and a great missionary thrust uh, by Christians in America and Great Britain. Matthew 12.21 says, in, in his name shall the Gentiles trust, meaning Jesus. Now, God is not the author of confusion. He makes himself known by one name through his revealed word, namely the Holy Bible. And he has magnified thy word above thy name. The one who would be audacious enough to replace or change his word would be the one who would be audacious as to replace or change his name. Now, we already know the false Bible versions have changed his word. Okay, When it said... Earlier, I, he had said the quote about this Alexandrian school of thought that seeks to change and question the word of God. Alexandrian meaning Alexandria, Egypt, which is where the first false Bibles actually came from, and which is where we have the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus uh, Catholic manuscripts, which is where they derived from, Okay, which were the very two versions that West, Beoff, Westcott, and, and Hort used to uh, concoct the revised version translation of 1881, which is what springboarded and spawned virtually all of the new modern day versions that have corrupted the word of God and added to and taken away. You know, for instance, the NIV has 64,000 less words than the KJV and it removes whole verses from the Bible that are just skipped. Uh, I've got a... just key in the word KJV in the search box on my homepage and go to the PDF associated with most of those and you'll see a whole King James defense packet. And I believe I have the NIV Bible quiz in there, in that. And you can see that. It'll, it'll say, okay, go to this verse and it's not there. <laughs> go to this verse. It's not there. It's a real easy way to prove it to yourself. <laughs> anyway, over 64,000 words, you know, not present. In the NIV alone. Well, Westcott and Hort, who were two high-level occultists, I mean, they in their own writings, they admit they, they attended a club called the Ghostly Guild. In fact, I believe they started it, where they had seances and they got together with people like Charles Darwin and stuff, the guy that you know postulated evolution. Um, and they communicated with spirits from the dead. Uh, they were in Hermes Club, you know, the god of the underworld there, the Messenger of the Dead, I believe. Uh, these are the type of people that translated the revised version of 1881 that spawned all the other... Now, the Bible, as I said before, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, also in that PDF, you'll see a chart there which gives you the two lineages of the two Bible lines, the King James and how it, how it evolved, and then the other one which started in Alexandria, Egypt. And you can look at that chart and you can kind of trace it right down. And so anyway, I think that's important 
that we mention that. So, let's go further there. Okay, so, John 5.43 says, I am come, this is Jesus talking, I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. Now, who is Jesus talking about here? I really believe he's talking about the Antichrist, ultimately. When the Antichrist comes, the Bible says they're going to receive him. Now, granted, it was 2,000, you know, approximately 2,000 years later this is going to happen. We're right on the cusp of that right now. And the Antichrist, which may be Maitreya, I've never been said, oh, it's got to be him. But, um, may be him. But whoever it is, the world's going to receive him. But they did not receive Jesus Christ. That name was an offense, a rock of offense to those that were unbelievers. Uh, So, uh, this is presently occurring in Christendom as the great falling away from his word process intensifies. As, as this happened in 1891 with this revised version, and it spawned all these other false translations, American Standard, NIV, New World Translation, now the translations are getting more and more wicked and more and more corrupt. The word is being more and more leavened and being more and more questioned. It's, the, it's, it's ultimately what would have to happen. Now, God is not the author of confusion. Why would he give us hundreds of translations, even in English? Is he trying to like really confuse us and throw us curveballs? Are all these men inspired that go and say, oh, we want to make a new translation? Or could it be for the money? Because every time they come out with a new translation, they have a copyright on it. We don't have a copyright on the King James Bible. That's why you can go into a dime store or a dollar store in America and in many places buy a $1 full King James Bible. They've even got them, um, the whole King James Bible on audio CDs now that I've seen in these dollar stores are great. And something you might want to stock up on in the future. Or, you know, even think about hiding some of these because there's going to come a time probably when, you know, uh, your Bibles may be taken from you. King James Bible will be most likely outlawed. But um, when you have a copyright on something, you can make a lot more money. And... uh, I understand there's people that have emailed me and said, well, yeah, but there's a copyright in England, okay? All right, I'm not disputing that, but for, for the most part, 99% of the planet, there's not. And so, anyway, it's the only Bible that's like that, that can be freely reproduced. So, it, that's another thing that distinguishes it from every other version out there. And I don't, I don't want to turn this into a KJV defense. I've already done that. I've done several part teachings on this. But, um... I really believe it is that important of an issue. Uh, for Hopefully I've made that, that point clear. So, going further, the most subtle attack of this process is coming through the Hebrew Roots movement. In other words, attacking the Word of God. The, the New Age goddess of Gaia is too, obviously, is too obvious for fundamental Christians to be deceived. Well, some, <laughs> but the way the emerging church is now, it's not really. You know, it's really not. Um, if for argument's sake the Holy Bible is only a rehash of the originals and as the yea hath God said crowd declares and not an inspired translation from, from the preserved Greek New Testament and the Old Testament Hebrew Masoretic, Masoretic text 
where the authorized King James Bible is derived from, then whoever is instigating the notion of getting back to our Hebrew roots can impart this notion to others, creating a ready-made audience to present the original in his own light, therefore making himself the higher critic. Now, I'm telling you right now, this is their approach. These Hebrew roots guys, they come out and they come out with their big, long, flowing beards and their whole rabbinic garb and come out. What is the first thing they do? I have seen this over and over and over again. The first thing they do is come out and get you to doubt the Word of God is what it is. Particularly, if it's the King James Bible. This was an inaccurate translation. Okay, now, so if they can come out and in one to two to three minutes, this is how they go after it. Why? Why would they do that? Isn't that the same thing Satan did in the Garden of Eden, the serpent? What did he do to Eve? What did he do to Eve to get her to ultimately sin by eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good or evil. How did he do that? He questioned God's word. Yea, hath God said, he said to her, ye shall not eat of the, you know. That's how he did it. He's no different today. Every single cult on the planet would ultimately have to do the same thing. But the Hebrew Roots movement, this is the foundation of their argument. This is, this is the very way they deceive you right off the bat. They're very upfront about it. They have to do it this way. They have to do it. I've seen too many videos of these guys, and it's the first thing they do. So are they emissaries of God or emissaries of Satan? Well, you're going to have to figure that out on your own. I'm just going to try to prevent as much of the facts as I can here. Uh, so they, ultimately, they can impart this notion, questioning the word of God creating a ready-made audience to present, quote, the originals in his own light, therefore making himself the higher critic and elevating himself as well. And then it's like, wow, I need somebody to interpret everything for me because I'm just dumb and stupid. I can't go by my own Bible anymore. I have to have some, man, I tell you, you get into that trap, I tell people all the time, don't follow me. Pray and fast about it. If, if, if you think I'm false, Praying fast about it. Or anybody for that matter. But I tell people don't follow me. Or, or put your trust in me, I should say. Because the Bible says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Jeremiah 17.5 I don't tell you to do that. Uh-uh. I'm just a servant of God. That's, that's it, a watchman. You, you do your own studying. I will provide you with a big, gigantic... PDF. <laughs> I don't even know how I'm going to get it all up. I, I, I mean, the file size is probably going to exceed the, what I can actually put up on Sermon Audio, but I will get it up there in one way, shape, or form, or at least provide the links. I think I'll be able to get most of it up there. But it's going to be, this will be one of the most gigantic PDFs I've ever put up for any teaching I've ever done. Because there is so much documentation to prove what I'm saying, and I'm only covering a little bit of that today. Uh... The Hebrew roots adherents say things like, quote, the Greek is a perversion of the originals. Uh, then they use the word like, the better and more reliable manuscripts say. And then better knowledge has come to light. Well, this is a lot of what modern day pastors say too. They're taught that. Well, a better rendering, oh, this is a mistranslation. What is that doing? Well, 
Bible's not really accurate. It's not really true. My, my seminary professor taught me that. A better rendering would be, well, then you become the higher critic. Then you can get in your own mind. Pride will well up. I, I did this too. I got into this a little bit. I got into this where, you know, by reading all these different translations, you know what it did for me? I thought I could go in there and change the Word of God. And I was literally writing down, sometimes I would sit down and write out Bible verses on the way I thought that they should be interpreted. I'm telling you this happened to me before I found out about the King James Bible being the Bible for today in the English language. I, that's what happened to me. So I'm not sitting here saying that I haven't been there and done that also. And I felt so scholarly. I had my living translation and my NIV and a parallel King James translation, you know. And I felt real, like, scholarly. And it, it does tend to um, bring pride in there. It really does. You start thinking that you, you're so clever and you have everything figured out. Uh, other things that they say, according to this extra-biblical commentary, or the Hebrew words, the Hebrew root word for this passage is, or more truth is now attainable, and so on and so on, thereby placing the higher critic above the God-given English King James Version and making him an instrument of divine revelation instead of the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. Therefore, more digging is required as things get more complicated and more credentials professionals are necessary to unravel the language and cultural barriers along with the secrets hidden in the past. It starts off very innocently as the gospel is presented in its true context to be of relevance to the Jewish people as it is for all people and to win them to Christ, the following verse fitting a sincere motive. 1 Corinthians 9.20 And under the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. And to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them under the law. Um, so, this can, be, this can be started off real innocently, okay, by doing uh, this particular thing, okay. But let, let's clarify that a little bit further. So, the Greek title um, of Jesus, translated to English, translates back to the most common interpretation of titles as Yeshua. Y-E-S-H-U-A. And is presented to make the Hebrew speaking, and is presented to relate to the Hebrew speaking people. Christ becomes the Messiah they are hoping for as Ha Mash. Oh boy, I'm really bad with other languages. Ha Mashahik. For this, can, uh, for this we can rejoice and praise God for as many Jewish people have found or are finding the Messiah, Jesus, as Savior through this revelation. In other words, they see it in their own language. Okay. As for many other nationalities are finding him through the Bible-believing translated into their language. Now, what the ideal thing here, here is to have the basis of that translation being the King James Bible. And there's been many Bibles that have been translated in a forged language, having the King James is their base. Okay, So I'm not ta saying that's bad. We're not saying that, so just so you know. Um, however, any truth taken to extreme ends in error, as Hebrew in many circles has been promoted as the favored language above the language of the complete 1611 King James translation and given supreme importance as just, and people are going to email me and say, oh, it's not the 1611. I understand. It's the 1769. Preferably Cambridge version. Okay, But see, that version, or that, it's not even really a version. And it's not really a translation. It's more of a 
updating of punctuation in language more than anything. Okay, the, the modern day King James Bible versions that we have, which are not a retranslation like the NIV or the ASAV or the revised version of 1881, they're simply updating grammar and updating some of the archaic language that existed in the 1611. Okay, for the most part, the Bibles we have today, the best one would be 1769 King James Bible, Cambridge edition. Now, I've got a teaching I've done on this, and uh, I believe it's entitled Beware of, Beware of um, False King James Bibles, some of them. Uh, not to say if you have a King James Bible, it makes it false. Okay, It's just that there's some things, I believe there is a more pure edition out there, and I identify that, and it's, it's not easy to find in today's day and age. So this is something that you might want to check into. I've done a teaching on this. It's up there. I think if you just key in the word beware or uh, KJV, you'll find it. KJV, you'll, you'll find all of this. Um, and you'll see it in there. And there's a, word, there's a document associated with that. You click into that document and it should give you all the information that you needed. I have updated that and um, uh, put a lot of study into that particular thing. But I don't want to go down that rabbit trail any further because uh, I've already been there. So, uh, let's see here. Where were we at here? Um, however, any truth taken to extreme ends in error. As the Hebrew in many circles has been promoted as the favored language above the language of the completed 1611 KJV and given supreme importance as justified through the Old Testament as well as the New in their case, uh, being originally written in Hebrew. And the Jewish people being the original chosen people of God. Therefore, everything Jewish is now being seen as being of God. Uh, and of special importance is placed on the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, along with the blasphemous Jesus Christ-hating Talmud. Um, not to mention the Midrash and all the other extra-rabbinical books out there. And again, a lot of these other teachings I've done on the Hebrew Roots Movement get into that in detail. I also have a teaching I've done on the hexagram, which is the sign that the uh, Hebrew roots people use on the Israeli flag, how that is one of the highest symbols in all of witchcraft. And I'm not making it up. It's not my information. It's, you know, there's so much to this movement that is so blasphemous and so wrong, uh, yet people in the movement just ignore it all. I mean, there's more information in this movement that I... There's more uh, ammunition that I've been given regarding this subject than almost any other thing I could expose. And yet it doesn't matter to the vast majority of people that are caught up in this because the spirits that are acting through this particular movement are so strong and blind them so totally that it doesn't matter what you set before them. It doesn't matter. Their mind is made up. Don't confuse them with the facts. That's how it goes. Uh, that's all I can say. Now, when I say spirits operating, well, the Bible says we battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes and principalities and rulers of wickedness and high places and powers. That's where our true battle is. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. Um, so... We have to understand this isn't about people so much as it is a spiritual battle. 
So how should the battle primarily be waged? With prayer and fasting and beseeching the Lord and these types of things. This movement is going to take millions and millions of people to hell, ultimately. So regardless of if this teaching is politically correct or not, or this doesn't suit or is palatable to those people, do I love them enough to tell them the truth? Am I therefore become their enemy because I tell them the truth? According to Galatians 4.16, my life's not a popularity contest. Um, I, some will receive this, and many won't, unfortunately. And that's really sad because uh, I just, I believe this is going to take a ton of people to hell this particular movement. And the, the ironic thing is, is if we were to go back a hundred years ago, this was like a non-issue. It's just an aberration that's occurred in the end times. Now we know there's going to be a great falling away, so shouldn't we be on extra guard? Shouldn't we be seeking, as the Bible says, the old paths, wherein is wisdom? No, there's all these new and great and wonderful, supposedly, things that the modern day church has embraced, and what is the fruit of all that? As far as I can see, the church is totally asleep. They're worrying about this or that or the new thing or the new whatever revelation, the new interpretation, the new Bible version. They're worrying about all these things that don't matter. So, uh, let's go further here. Um, so, what's, what ends up happening is the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, the Talmud, the Midrash, and even at the higher levels, if the truth be told, the Kabbalah, is elevated above the New Testament. And they don't believe, another thing, they don't believe that the New Testament, the King James Bible, is the New Testament. They believe, I believe uh, what they primarily like to use is, they call it the Jerusalem Bible, which is another corrupted version that came from that revised version of 1881, through Westcott and Hort, the two occultists. It's just another spawn of that. Uh, so that's another way they can attack it. See, I mean, they are just absolutely... You see how this movement totally, utterly attacks the Word of God as its primary way that it is perpetuated and fueled. The basis of how the Hebrew Roots movement operates is the attacking, the overt, outward, flagrant attacking of the Word of God. That's where they start from. Other pseudo-movements of Christianity aren't as bold as this one. Or as rabid, I should say. Uh, what ends up happening is, Gentile believers then find themselves falling prey to this type of reasoning as the Galatians were at the beginning of the New Testament era, ignoring the warning of their Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, Galatians 1, 6-7 says, I marvel that ye be so, are so soon removed from him that called you under the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be there some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, if you continue to read Galatians, and I've covered these verses and other teachings on the Hebrew Roots movement, you will find out what was the big problem the Galatians were having. There were certain men that crept in unawares. Now, I know that, was, that quotes from Jude, but... These men came in, as the Galatians says, to spy out our liberty in Christ and bring us back into bondage. They were religious Jews that were desiring to bring these people back into bondage. And the whole book of Galatians is written essentially on that subject. I mean, well, I, I tell people, like, if, if they give me any problem about this, I say, what do you do with the book of Galatians to a Hebrew roots person? 
That's like one of the first questions I ask them. If you read the book of Galatians, particularly the KJV, what do you do with that book? Well, what a lot of them are doing, now I'm not saying so much in Hebrew roots, but a lot of what a lot of people are doing is saying that they're calling Paul, anything Paul written, Paul wrote, was not of God. He was, they call him Paul the usurper. And there's a lot of women that do this that have their own ministries. Why do they do it? Because Paul taught a lot on biblical uh, things that women can do for the Lord, for the biblical parameters that are set up for pastors and deacons. And, and, and they don't want to adhere to what Paul says. So they, they will demonize him. There's, there's um, a cult, uh, I think it's called Eulantra, the book of Eulantra. I know a guy that was into this. And they, they teach and preach Paul as the usurper. Um, I believe the Hebrew roots would attack Paul on a certain level too. But see, they've already done so much damage right off the bat by saying, well, you know, number one, you know, the ver- King James Version, they discredit that. And they only give really real credence to the Torah. And, and if they do use a Bible in the New Testament, it's going to be the Jerusalem Bible, which is 11 texts. And then they go by the Midrash and the Talmud and all these other extra-biblical commentaries, which ultimately take precedent over the Bible. And that's true for almost every cult. Why? Because if you look at the book uh, Mormon Church, for instance, what do they primarily go by? Well, they have the book The Pearl of Great Price, and they have the Book of Mormon. And then they have the King James Bible. Okay, but it's, it's a commonly known thing within these cults that whenever a prophet or another extra biblical book comes out, that will always end up taking precedent because they invariably contradict the Bible. So how do they decide what's what? What's more important? Well, they just go by their extra biblical text. It's the same in the Jehovah Witnesses. It's really the basis for almost all cults. They give you things that are extra-biblical, getting you away from the Word of God. So, it's Satan hasn't changed. Uh, let's see here. Um, so, let's go forward. Mark 7.13 says, Making the Word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and, and such uh, like things do ye. So, Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, this would be like putting the Talmud, which is, you know, this blasphemous Christ-hating, I've given you many, many quotes from it, putting that on a higher level than the New Testament. And I have the quotes from the rabbis that have totally confirmed, saying the Talmud is the Torah for today. It is essentially usurped it. Um, Paul, a Jewish believer from the strict of, of the Jewish sects made it clear, you can't have one or the other. And has, um, and the new has canceled out the old. Hebrew 8.13 In that he saith, a new covenant hath he made first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Um, Paul clarified it was the Jewish religion he was saved from that was responsible for this falling away of the day. And the warning and was the warning the Gentile Galatian believers, and he warned them not to be entangled with it. Galatians 1, 13-14 says, For ye have heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, 
how that beyond measure I persecuted the church and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. So he was kind of been there, done it. Uh, then if you read Acts 15, 5 through 24, you will see the church made a distinction between the old and the new with this final conclusion. Acts 15, 24. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from among us have troubled you with words, in other words, certain Jews had went out from among them to trouble the Gentiles with words, subverting your souls, saying, ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. That was the message to the to the Gentile believers. So, you know, then they go on to talk about you you know you you should abstain from fornication, and eating things that are strangled, things offered to idols, and things with blood in them. There was another thing that they said you you need to do this. Okay, um, but they say regarding being circumcised and keeping the law. This is the very foundation of the church. This came from Jews. They said, we gave you no such commandment. And that's reiterated in other places, too, in the New Testament. Although the advocates of today's Hebrew roots movement are not making circumcision a major requirement, as in the first century, other aspects of the Old Covenant, along with the Jewish traditions, are being imposed on Bible believers to embrace as being part of God, restoring the true faith in these end times. A major shift in embraced theology has been the acceptance of the Jewish name replacement of Jesus Christ. And again, if they would just really read, just and it's it's you can read Romans, you can read Hebrews, you just read it really closely and ask God to open your eyes. Galatians, all you would need is Galatians, but if you wanted more, read Romans and read Hebrews. And it's other places too. I don't see how they could possibly embrace this. Because there's so many warnings against this exact thing in the Bible. Uh, Let's go ahead and end part one here and we'll go to part two next. God bless you.